whether you're dealing with these uh, virtual offices or domicile, you know, if you've got an e-commerce business and you're in California and you're drop shipping from someplace else, why are you paying the income tax in Florida? You know, you can domicile your company in Wyoming and avoid having to pay upwards of 13.3% on the income tax, tax rates at the end of the day. So you find that a lot of e-commerce companies are beginning to do that as well. Some people do want to use their personality as their brand, but they may not want their home address to be up there. So for example, a lot of people have the same candle suppliers, so they become their own candle manufacturer. But what they could do is they're selling their own candles, but they want to also be able to sell them to other people. And you could do that through a private LLC. So the manufacturer is private and they don't know that you're both the seller and the manufacturer. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. I'll admit, one of the limiting factors that is impacted me as a business person is not knowing what danger I could be in from a liability standpoint. After my conversation with Andrew and Mark Pierce of Cloud Peak Law, I heaved a huge sigh of relief. Turns out that there are people on our side in e-commerce that can get your business structured in such a way that you can focus on your work. Unless you do something egregious, only your business fails. Which is, of course, still a massive blow to you, but that's where it should stop. We have Mark and Andrew Pierce on Ecomonics. Great to have you guys both on here. Um, it's it's always fun to be able to do uh, multi-guest episodes. I haven't quite settled on what I want to call them, but multi-guest seems to be the the name that we're going to go with for now. So uh, how you guys doing? How are you feeling today? Doing great. Oh, we're doing well, thanks. We appreciate you having us on the podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times we deal with uh, real estate investors or estate planning, but we have a lot of clients in e-commerce as well. So it's fun to do a podcast and that thing too yeah in fact we're in e-commerce right uh, yeah we we are fundamentally a website we just happen to sell legal services at the end of the day so i'd argue that we are yeah i, I mean the bar doesn't have to be uh, that high i think as soon as any transaction uh, takes place and it has to be done online then okay it, it basically qualifies like i don't know uber i e-commerce to me even though something is physically coming it's it's all about bridging the gap between what's here and in the in the physical sense and what is on the digital sense so yeah the bar is not that high in fact i think pretty much every business at some in some way shape or form is uh, either e-commerce or as uh, entering into it and i have talked to some people whose their job is to help bridge that gap where they'll call up companies and talk to them and say hey you know you don't have a web presence you all you've got is a phone number and uh, that's uh, that's just not going to be enough uh, coming into uh, coming into the future. So, so I it, all of which is to say I agree. Yeah, and I think especially during the COVID era, it's forced uh, more and more people to be online at the end of the day. And kind of the joke we have is, you know, if you have a website but you're not properly marketing it, it's kind of like making flyers but then putting them in your desk. Now you've got to get the <laughs> word out. Uh, the website alone is not enough. You need to get the yeah. word out and get the visitors there. Uh, but then at that point, I think a lot of the standards, regardless of what you're selling, apply industry to industry. Uh, so it's pretty interesting watching a lot of those things move online. Yeah, one of the, one of the interesting things that came out of Clio here recently was that um, 83% of all law firms felt that they were e-commerce proficient and 23% of their clients felt like they were. So there's a 60% gap somewhere. <laughs> and my guess is that I would just go with the client most of the time. If the client doesn't think that you're e-commerce proficient, you're probably not. That's the metric, certainly. Yeah, I remember about five years ago, we started moving more and more things online. So I realized if you needed the client to do something or have it done offline, it would take who knows how long trying to find printers or scanners. So it's just easier to do it all for them and move it to the website. Yeah, it's still a nightmare. So. You know, anytime a client starts downloading documents and running documents off, pagination changes, section numbers change on and on. You can't do that with our portal, right? You're just in the portal. Have you found that it's uh, it increased the, uh, the possibility for say like something key or critical to be lost in the shuffle or if like someone's supposed to i you have to forgive me the terminology i'm not the expert on because you know i can only uh, understand so many jargons of so many different industries but with the possibility of say they have to sign something digitally and they don't quite get it have you noticed that people that there's like more potential for mistakes now that there's more of a transition into the uh digital space less of a 
I think five years ago, there was some hesitancy. Yeah. People were worried, is an e-signature going to be valid? Okay, you've stored it online, but what if the cloud gets deleted? You know, there were sort of questions like that. But I think at this point, it's been so widely adopted. Uh, you don't run into those issues anymore. There's familiarity with the com uh, consumer. There's a level of comfort that there wasn't before. Oh, yeah. You know, particularly with, with a lot of clients. Yeah, with a lot of clients, used to be a real hesitancy not to sign anything. Now it's, there's a hesitancy not to sign it electronically. I had a guy the other day, I was listing some property for sale, and he wanted me to come by his office. I was like, what? Can't you just send it to me? And, you know, we, we did it all online. It was quick. It was efficient. Everybody had copies of everything. So I think that you've reached a real tipping point, particularly with COVID, where people just expect to be able to be doing it online. I don't think the legal profession has caught up in a lot of respects, but, you know, in other respects it has. We do almost all of our documents online with electronic signatures. Well, I enjoyed the estate plan you put together. The gentleman grabs it, goes on a flight to Hawaii and leaves the whole estate plan binder on the flight and they lose all the planning documents. So at least now that can't happen. Everything's stored digitally. So Yeah, he dropped by the office. He had to have his book. Well, he took his book out like this. It was right clenched right next to his chest, got on the flight and left it in the bin in front of his seat. You know, you never know. So I ended up PDFing all the copies to him. He was fine, but I thought it was interesting. That was probably the last client I had that actually needed paper forms. Yeah, well, that that uh, I guess that demystifies what I was wondering about is if it, it, the potential for accidents. But it makes more sense. There's 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 different layers of, of protection. This reminds me of something I was talking about to uh, a developer. Uh, this was a few years ago, and the worry that I had is like. Paperwork, it can get lost on a flight, right? Or it can end up in a landfill somewhere. But at least until a hundred years go by and it biodegrades, it still has a physical presence. Whereas if the servers go down, your external hard drive gets wiped, it can't be retrieved. You know, is there there is a, a sense of impermanence? And what he said, he he put my mind at ease. It took a while, but he said, okay, listen, there. I can't tell you where it is, but there are these cloud servers that are hidden somewhere in the Alps. They can basically store all the internet just in case anything goes wrong. And I thought, wow, okay. I'm glad somebody had that kind of forethought. Yeah, we've got mirrored backup. Yeah, you've got everything's mirrored backup. Yeah, you do redundancy, not just within the same data center, but across different geolocations and then across different services. And at that point, if that much of the internet's gone, that, that resembles Armageddon, and I don't think the issue will be your LLC. Uh, so, well, you know, that's with, with us. We've we've got basically financial grade um, software and storage solutions. So, if you, if something happens to our system, you're going to have problems that are a lot worse than retrieving your legal documents. I haven't even gotten into my uh, my opening question. Is just uh, it's just great to see you guys. Just I mean, this is kind of the fun of having two guests because you, know, you can play off each other and. You know, anything that makes my dig a little bit more efficient, I'm, I'm all for it. So uh, if, if you want to reach out and do like three-person episodes, four-person episodes, I am more than open to it. But I do got to get an opening question in, which is, you know, what you guys do and what you're up to. We've unraveled a little bit so so far, but I think it's important just to ask it formally and get the formal answer. Uh, so I did a coin flip about an hour ago just to uh, sort this out. And Mark, you uh, got, got heads. So uh, <laughs> well, we'll start with you. you. Know, I'm an attorney and a CPA. Andrew's the marketing and, and operations guy. So, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, he's kind of ahead of me on a lot of things. So, Andrew, why don't you take it and run with it? I'll just say, look, we do asset protection trust and LLC, essentially not, not just estate planning, but, uh, you know, basically risk minimization. That'd be a fair assessment, Drew? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our three primary areas are asset protection, privacy, and the minimization of taxes. Uh, and then estate planning fits into all of that. Uh, the taxes, to a certain extent, everyone wants to save there, but really it's the asset protection and privacy that are a big deal, especially nowadays uh, with so much information being on the internet. How can you anonymously own a website? How can you have a company that isn't tied back to your home address? Let's say you know, you're know you running a drop shipping company out of your home and you've got kids or you don't have kids, but you just don't want people finding that. Those are things where we can help you cover your tracks a little bit and have some privacy at the end of the day. Uh, so essentially, LLCs, corporations, virtual offices, 
uh, phone answering, those sort of solutions we assist with. Okay, great. So let's start with the privacy because I think that's definitely something that everybody, whether they think it's important or not, it's it's an important factor into comfortably and reliably uh, running one's own business. Now, we have covered one aspect to this, which is having a virtual address just so that I don't put my actual apartment uh, number, suite, and buzz code on my business. What I would put instead is a virtual address. So that's the one that I do know that helps protect some of the privacy. Um, so I do want to uh, start unfolding this and unpacking this and learn you know, what else there is to do. But there is one other thing that I want to keep in mind about this. When we're talking about e-commerce business, um, or in, in here on economics, you know, this is a dropshipping country. So we do have a lot of people who are, you know, they're looking to break away from the system that uh, they've been in for a while. They want to have a more freeform lifestyle, whether they're going up against, say, Amazon, and they're not working within Amazon, or they're going up against other competition in the niche, they do need to market themselves and find a unique position that gives them an edge. And a lot of that has to do with personality and being somebody to root for. So what you'll find is people will reach out to other people on Instagram, try to build a following, they'll have a Facebook page. Uh, and it, it, it's not disadvantage. Yeah, it's not disadvantageous to use yourself as a marketing asset, tell your own story, you know, where you're from, your background and stuff like that. So it seems to me that there is a very difficult balance here between being open in the interest of forwarding my business versus guarding what needs to be guarded. So that's where I would like to also touch on as well is like what is non-negotiable really, what needs to be guarded. Sure. And I think, uh, you know, it depends. Some people do want to use their personality as their brand but they may not want their home address to be up there. But then we've seen people as well where, uh, you know, I know dropshipping has become more competitive. So for example, a lot of people have the same candle suppliers, so they become their own candle manufacturer. But what they could do is they're selling their own candles, but they want to also be able to sell them to other people. And you could do that through a private LLC. So the manufacturer is private and they don't know that you're both the seller and the manufacturer. So it lets you kind of dominate maybe that search engine result space or lets you be, you know, be your own competition in a few ways. Uh, so that's one option that people have as well. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, there's some people, um, like you say, there's, they are the brand, but for most people, that's not true. And you want to put a series of buffers in between you and, and the general public. And we offer anonymous filing services just to stay, keep you out of the public eye. It doesn't mean that you're out of the government's eye. You know, you have to, the uh, Department of Treasury Internal Revenue Service has to know who your your ultimate beneficiary is within an LLC, as does a bank. So, you know, those things are not going to be anonymous, but you're not broadcasting to the public as to what it is that you have. And there, there are three states that lead the United States in terms of providing that level of anonymity. One is Wyoming, the other one's New Mexico, and the other one's Delaware. We have physical offices in all three. Whereas a lot of your LLC and corporate organizations, organizers, um, you know, third party that out and they rely on people such as us to provide those services to you. You know, the other thing when you're dealing with these uh, virtual offices or domicile, you know, if you've got an e-commerce business and you're in California and you're drop shipping from someplace else and your, your sales organization is stretched all over the United States, why are you paying the income tax in Florida? You know, you can domicile your company in Wyoming and avoid having to pay upwards of 13.3% on the income tax tax rates at the end of the day. So you find that a lot of e-commerce companies are beginning to do that as well. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to not have an interest broadcast to the public that you've got an interest in an e-commerce company that's domiciled in California if you don't want to pay taxes there. And also, they don't need to know if you have partners or don't have partners. It could be advantageous for them to think you're 100% owner. Let's say you're only 10% for your name. Uh, you get to choose what it is that you do and don't disclose at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Okay, so when you say uh, domicile, I, I haven't heard that that particular uh, word used in a while. Last time I heard it was in a movie from like the 90s, and it was just a term used for somebody's home. So here's what I'm uh, uh, trying to understand is that if I were, let's just say I'm selling and based on my market, I have at least 10 different states that would take a great uh, deal of interest in my niche. Um, is it one domicile per state or is it just one domicile? And then that kind of like alleviates at least like some of it. I can imagine that rules will change for, on a state to state basis. Well, you can only be domiciled. You can only have a home. That's all domicile means. What's your okay. home? You know, it's, but it's the home for the company in this context. Yeah. 
So you have a personal domicile than a business domicile. Yeah. And you may be selling into a lot of different states, but you're making your income in one state. So you pay your sales tax with like Amazon services and stuff like that. You pay your sales tax, you pro rata it wherever, whatever it is you're doing. But the income that you make is in Wyoming and Wyoming doesn't have a, a state tax, state income tax. So you can save whatever the difference is between your home state and Wyoming by doing that. Now, if it flows through to you ultimately anyway, then you may not save anything. But for a lot of companies, they're accumulating wealth and they'll accumulate it in a place like Wyoming. And Wyoming set itself up to be that way because we've got, I think, some of the best LLC. I'd say that we got the best LLC statute in the United States right now. Um, our asset protection statutes are top line. Uh, we've made some recent changes in our last legislative session that allow me to say that unequivocally. Um, you know, but even more importantly, when you get down to blockchain, you get down to Bitcoin, you know, Forbes magazine ranks Wyoming number one. Now, you know, you didn't get there by accident. You got there by as a design. And so the legislature here, been led by a couple of different people, um, have implemented rules and regulations that allow for the formation of capital with the minimum amount of governmental interference and a minimum amount of tax. I want to stop off on the on the blockchain for a section because I I have like a passing interest in in crypto. I you know I have, I have some I have some Bitcoin. I generate some BAT because I'm using Brave browser. They're not paying me to say that. I just think it's a great browser. And one of the things about the blockchain is that it's decentralized. So the the premise is it's not supposed to really matter um, about the physical location. It's just what's supposed to matter is tracking the activity of it so that it doesn't do anything incongruous with the law uh, or just common sense for that matter. So in what way is the blockchain more significant in Wyoming versus in, in a different state? Because you've got a question of what type of asset is Bitcoin or are cryptocurrencies. And in a lot of states, they treat them differently. So if you own it personally, and then how that state treats the asset comes into play, Whereas if the assets domiciled in Wyoming, we say that crypto can't be treated any differently than any other asset. So you get to benefit from our asset protection laws here. Whereas in other states, it's not entirely clear what type of, is it a physical asset, a digital asset, but a lot of them haven't ruled. And I think you might have a judge who looks unfavorably toward it. But in Wyoming, you're going to have the clear uh, custody of it at the end of the day. So it'll be much more difficult to get to. They just finished up some amendments to the Uniform Commercial Code that allowed banks to come in or be formed in the state to take cryptocurrency as a form of security uh, for loans that would be made to individuals against that cryptocurrency, which is interesting. So we've got the only two cryptocurrency bank loaning, lending institutions in the United States. They're not actually fully up and operational now. They're working out their back office issues, but they've got the charter. They're ready to run when they get the back office issues up and running. And, you know, these people didn't just drop out of the sky. They, one of them was a, a significant executive with Morgan Stanley. And she came in. She was a Wyoming native. She came back to Wyoming to put this thing into place. Then the other one was a guy. I think he's out of California. I can't remember. Can't remember what the guy's name was, but he has selected uh, Wyoming as well. And like I said, we got the regulations that allow you to do it, whereas most states are not looking at this sort of thing. Because the issue you'd have is you'd have a lot of crypto wealth, but let's say you want, I've got $10 million in crypto. I want to take a million dollar loan against it to do these things. Other banks would go, we don't know how to treat that asset. We can't use it as collateral. And then Wyoming went, oh, well, we figured that out. So all of a sudden you have the nation's only two crypto banks are in Wyoming and you can domicile the assets there and have the benefits. I, I want to also just make sure I, I get a good grip on, on domiciling. So what are the requirements for this um do you uh, can you have a physical address that's as like simple as a mailbox or is there a certain are there certain parameters is there a certain amount of like square footage that you have to have in order to to qualify well essentially what we do is we provide a little bit more than a mailbox and a, a lot of people have said you know if you have a virtual office in wyoming that should do it if you have a registered agent in wyoming the law says that's what you should do it i spoke at length with a, a tax attorney out of new york who's litigated this issue a couple of different times as to where are you domicile? Because it makes a difference for state income taxes, federal income taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So he said, look, you know, you got to have a physical address. So when you lease an office space from us, it's uh, what is it? Seven by five, eight by five, something like that. You got a desk, you have a server here at this office where all of your documents are stored. So that's your domicile of your documents. You got a phone line that's answered with the 307 area code if that's what you want to have. 
and uh, you pay whatever business license taxes are here, franchise taxes, which are, you know, incredibly, incredibly low. So you got the four points out of the five points of contact that you need to establish domicile. The last one is voting and LLCs and corporations can't vote. So we're four for four and you feel very comfortable that for what is it, $1,200, $1,500 a year, which, you know, if you're living in California, New York, that's lunch money for basically a month, you know, and then you've got your insurance and you are domiciled in Wyoming. Yep. And I think Mark did pretty well. He calls it the sweaty brow test. You know, there's no list of necessary and sufficient conditions. Do I have domicile? Do not have domicile? Uh, the question is eventually you make it in front of a judge and you have to justify it. So if you can sit there and go, I've got physical space. I've visited Wyoming once. I've done this. Sorry, I've done that. That feels substantial. If you go, oh yeah, I've got $10 million in Wyoming and I have a PO box and I've never been and I don't rent and it's cost me 50 dollars a year they go wow 50 dollars a year for 10 million in assets that seems a little incongruous uh but you know the more you can do uh and then it comes into the value of the assets that you have as well you know if you only have 10 or twenty thousand dollars a 300 dollars virtual office is probably sufficient for you if you start getting into really substantial numbers the nice part is you actually have the money to do it correctly uh so you know it's a little bespoke depending on what you have going on at the end of the day yeah, we basically charge a hundred bucks a month for the service, but we've had people come in and say, look, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable in front of a judge paying less than 500 a month for this. So, okay, we'll pay 500 a month. So we take 500 a month. Yeah. That was a California resident because he'd be saving so much on taxes. He went, I can't save 10 grand a month in taxes and only pay a hundred. I need to be spending more. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, well you tell us what you're comfortable with at that point. So yeah, and I like the I like the sweating brow test. You know, I've litigated a little bit in front of tax courts, and that tax court judge is a fairly sophisticated individual. And when you get into small matters like jurisdiction and domicile, you're not going to be able to look at him and say, "Oh yeah, you know, I got a virtual office. I've never been there, but I think I flew over at one time on the way to L.A." You know, that one's not going to work. So that's the sweating brow test. Right. I think is what it is, right there. So it has it gotten to the point where people are physically coming to visit the office just to uh, sit in the desk, put their feet up and, uh, and and call it a day? Because I feel like, you know, if I if I if I had the money to to do this and it was imperative, I feel like I would just come pay a visit, you know, just to uh, have the have the experience. Yeah. And, you know, we're only two hours away from Yellowstone, which is just magnificent. And then from Yellowstone, you can get to Jackson and go skiing. So what we'll have is a lot of people during ski season kind of plan around that. So they get their trip in and out of Wyoming paid for, and then a couple of their hotel stays. So it it, it is it is funny to me just the the thought where a um, hundred dollars is basically what the fee is, but the extra four hundred dollars, which in all intents and purposes is in the abstract, still has to be paid just for that their own peace of mind. Just that so they when they write it down, they said, "No, I am paying five hundred dollars for this instead of a hundred dollars for this." Like. <laughs> it's it, it, it's it, I just think it's interesting because we talk about value all the time and this is I, I can't put my finger on this is intrinsic value or intrinsic value or it's a subjective or objective or they just say well I just need to pay this money because this is just how I sleep at night imagine you're in front of a New York or a California judge and you go I've got an office space rented it's a hundred dollars a month California they go you can get an office space for a hundred dollars a month that's it sounds impossible so if you live in Tennessee they probably go hundred bucks. That sounds pretty good. Or in these other States, you know, it also depends on what state you're in. I, I live in Florida. It's very business friendly. I don't have to do a lot for them to say, okay, you're a Wyoming company, California, for example, their franchise tax board is very aggressive. New York is very aggressive. So if you're in those States, you have to beef it up a little bit more. If you're in a different state, that's not as aggressive, you don't have to do as much. So that's why it depends a little bit on where you're living. Or if you're a nomad, Let's say you're not spending most of your time inside of America. You need very minimal ties to Wyoming because you don't have ties to anywhere else. So there the virtual office might be all that you need. So it depends as well where you're living, what states, where you spend a lot of your time, stuff like that. Now, I'm going to feel a little silly asking this, but I'm, I am in Toronto. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a Canadian citizen. So are there limitations based off citizenship who would be able to... Uh, uh, acquire a virtual office in Wyoming, or I guess in any state. But I, no, I no, no. no. I, I correction, correction. Wyoming is particular here just because of the rules. So, but you're nodding your head. You're telling me that it wouldn't matter. No, nope. no citizenship requirements. So no, because you're not domiciling yourself here. Right. Yeah, you're not domiciling yourself here. You're domiciling the LLC or the corporation here. So the focus is on the corporation. It wouldn't matter who the shareholders are, the membership interest holders are. You know, we've done, here's some interesting stuff that goes on. You know, 
you've got a number of people throughout the world who would like to take a take advantage of Wyoming's asset protection laws. And we've gotten a number of trusts here recently that these people are not U.S. citizens, not U.S. residents, and they don't generate U.S. sourced income, and yet they have a U.S. trust. So we can domicile the trust here, and they don't pay any tax because there's nothing to generate tax for them, but they have all the protection of the laws from that. So it's another way to go about it. Yep. And a large number of our clients are overseas. So a large number of our clients are overseas. I know, for example, if you're doing uh, FBA, um, certain countries you're allowed to do it. But then if you're, uh, I, you know, I don't know any off the top of my list, but let's say you're in a country where you can't sign up with Amazon, the workaround is to have a, a US LLC, and then that can sign up with Amazon and you're good to go. So I have two other pillars to this that I uh, want to ask about um, for my audience, and also for my own sake too, if I'm being honest. Um, so uh, I want to make sure that we have a clear understanding of what the LLC is. I, I believe limited liability, either company or corporation? Limited liability company. Company. Okay. Now, this to me, uh, my understanding is that this is a a different pillar versus say a corporation or a sole propriety, which for, for the record, I own a sole propriety right now just because I'm a, you know, I'm a one man operation. And I have had a sole propriety for about the last, I don't know, five or six years, just because I do a web comic. And it's just like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm an artist, I come from the quirkier side. So we tend to not want to focus too much on this, but I understand it's important. And so that's why I'm here to learn it. But so the significance of LLC, I, I want to talk about what makes it special, what makes it distinct. Um, appealing and also in the e-commerce space um you know when is it worth looking into yeah the llc is appealing because of its flexibility you know a corporation is very statutory whatever the statute provides that's what you have to comply with you've got a great deal of case law behind it essentially what the wyoming llc statute says is that you know you put an operating agreement together and you can contractually agree to whatever you want to agree as long as it's legal you know i mean legal like you know not criminal and so in between two partners, three, four partners, you can say, okay, this, these people are doing these things. We're getting this distribution out of it. And you can vary it. Whereas in a corporation, a lot of times you have a, a much less flexible structure coming out of it. You've got a board of directors. You've got officers that you absolutely have to have. You've got all those different layers there that uh, most people just don't need. Yeah. And so with the LLC, you get rid of most of that. You just have a manager, one or two managers to take care of everything. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can change it, you know, with a drop of a hat. And you, it, you know, Wyoming had the first LLC statute beginning, I think, in 97. Then we've evolved this thing over the last 24 years. Like single member LLCs have efficacy in Wyoming, whereas in a lot of states they don't. They view them as pass through entities and they go after the members. But in Wyoming, that has efficacy in Wyoming. And, you know, you are able to do things within an LLC structure you cannot do in a corporate structure. And because of that, it gives you all the flexibility you need in business. And Wyoming has a closed limited liability supplement. So you don't even have to observe the formalities of annual meetings and that sort of thing. But the only thing that you can get really crossed up with is commingling assets or treating it like it's your piggy bank. And then you'll end up in troubles with it. Yeah, it's particularly important for e-commerce clients as well, because you do have some liability depending on the products that you're selling. Well, if it's t-shirts and hats, most likely not. But if you're selling baby toys or candles, especially I know because of competition, you know, people have gotten into manufacturing as well. So that brings in additional liabilities that you can have when you're selling products. So it's nice to not only be able to, if one of your products causes harm, they can't go after you individually. But let's say that someone burns down their house with a candle, where you don't want it to go ahead and affect your uh, the toys that you've got going on. Or if you're doing affiliate marketing, those are in different companies. So they're suing one LLC, but it doesn't affect the rest of them. And something else that we've seen as well is, you know, they might form one LLC and they're selling 20 or 30 different product lines. And then a lot of people like to go ahead and sell the website off or sell that product line off. But if you've had everything flowing into one company and all the expenses, someone says, Hey, I want to buy it. It can be a little bit hard to figure out, okay, what were the actual revenues? What were the profits that were going on inside of this company? So if you have a feeling that one of these is going to be big, you split it off into its own company, the books are clean, then you just sell that company, which has its contracts, it owns the domain, has the suppliers and everything else, and then it's a little bit easier to spin these things off. 
And I know that initially when e-commerce uh, people are starting off, you know, it's good I get a thousand or two in sales a month. They're not thinking of this. But what will happen a lot of times is you'll hit this niche, you'll kind of explode. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, crap, it's a little bit late to plan. So, you know, you don't have to start off with 20 LLCs, start off with one. But as soon as it starts having any type of real volume, spin it off into its own company and you'll be pretty happy at the end of the day. And it keeps, you know, different accidents from affecting this line of business won't affect you personally with the corporate bail and makes it a little bit easier to expand and grow too. Okay. So um, just to uh, tie this into um, a, a lot of the discussion that I have with say a lot of, we have, we do get a lot of drop shippers on the show because like I said, this is drop shipping country and you know we, we do discuss the, what is the initial budget for people to set up a Shopify store and, um, and, and have a fighting chance. And the consensus has been around 500 to $1,000. I would lean more towards $1,000 because, I mean, really 500? Come on, just throw in the extra 500. When we when we discuss, say, and, and this is actually a long thread that I've had with, say, like a, an accounting uh, firm that I'd spoken to uh, differently. So we do have these other factors that are important uh, in securing uh, the foundation for our growth, but it can be intimidating in the sense that there's a lot of these other expenses that are going to uh, factor in. And if I don't even succeed, if I can't even find a winning product or if I can't market it right, then that just means I've spent a lot more uh, time and energy and resources into this. So to simplify the question is, A, the question was about to be, when should I start planning this, which is silly. It should really be like, what should I start planning right away? But B is... When is it time for, say, somebody running a store, like a lot of people that we talked about here on the on the program, to uh, reach out to you guys and say, okay, it's time. I need to form an LLC. I'd say as early as possible, but realistically, you know, if your choice is between having the money to run Facebook ads and having the money to form an LLC, you need to run Facebook ads because if you only form the LLC and can't run ads, it's not going to do you a lot of good. Uh, but I'd say as soon as you start to have just a little bit of extra cash, and then it depends on the riskiness of the product as well and your personal assets. You know, if you have no personal assets and you burn a house down, who cares? You know, they'll sue you and that's that. But if you've got, you know, you're doing pretty well, this is kind of your side gig. You've got a nice W-2, a home and a car, and you start selling candles. You've got a little bit more to protect. So that can be a bit of a personal choice. But certainly once it looks as though you're going to be profitable, uh, at that point, you should invest, uh, go ahead and put it into a company and do it sooner rather than later. Because uh, you just end up, there's less to clean up than waiting to be a year or two down the road. What if we had a, an accountant the other day set up a single proprietorship? What do you call it? Flying blind? Or what did he call that? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the term that I had used was sole proprietor. Yeah, sole proprietorship. In the United States, they call it flying blind or something like that, or the worst choice you can make. You know, you just, if you're in business, you're in business. And you should be in an LLC or a corporation. You shouldn't be out there as a sole proprietorship. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I mean, uh, I, again, it was something that I had set up much earlier on, just because the logic was, well, it is just me at the end of the day. But I I, I completely uh, agree with what you guys are saying, um, in regards to uh, setting up one of these. And there are potential tax benefits. You know, if you have an LLC or a corporation and you're taking certain deductions, uh, they tend to look a little bit more favorably on if you went to lunch or did these other things, because it looks a little bit more like you're in business instead of treating yourself. Uh, so, I mean, it, with, you know, the cost of an LLC being one ninety nine, that's how much we charge anyway. There's people that are less, a lot of people that are more, uh, but that includes the state fee. You know, the accountant should be able to get at least $199 in tax savings for you. So it should be at least neutral for you, if not something that saves you money. I got to so one ninety nine now is that, <laughs> you have to forgive me, a lot of these questions are are, are very like 101, but is it? Is it a one-time fee or is it a recurring fee? Like the it has to be renewed at a certain point. Uh, it's one ninety-nine for the first year. It includes most of what you need. We've got all the cart for some additional things, uh, and then in future years it's one forty-nine, and that keeps you open and private. Uh, if you don't mind, if you don't care about the privacy, it'd just be ninety-nine dollars. 49 bucks to us for an address, $50 to the state. Yeah. And when you consider the significance of this and and how much uh, peace of mind it, it provides, it's not, it's really not that much. Get a bunch of Shopify apps 
that could end up costing the same amount of money. So uh, that that alone is, I think, quite a relief. And I hope the audience um, uh, feels that way as well. Um, there is something that I've been wondering this, and not just at the beginning of this conversation, but I've been wondering this for a long time. When we talk about uh, the, the advantage of both LSE and corporation is that if there is an incident, something uh, gets set on fire or explodes or a mixture of those two or flood or whatever, I can go on and on and on talking about all those bad things because uh, I have fun doing that kind of thing. But they want to uh, they, they want to sue, they can sue a company and and the individual is okay. Now that to me sounds like at some point, depending on the severity of the incident, sooner or later, an individual has to be held responsible. Um, so what happens, What would happen to somebody seeking justice where if the, an LLC or, or even a corporation, if it is uh, valid to the discussion here, if they say they declare bankruptcy and there's no um, recompensation for the, the bereaved or the the person or the victim in this case, uh, what happens? Does it get to a point where they will uh, go after an individual or uh, how secure is the protection really? Well, it's not really about the severity of it. It's about was there gross negligence or was there fraud? In that case, they can pierce it. Otherwise, just because there was a victim and a tragedy doesn't mean you now get to make a victim and a tragedy out of the business owner because of something unfortunate. Yeah. You know, you take the, take the idea that you're running a bus company and, um, you know, you're an individual who is incorporated at a bus company, you're running the bus company and the bus driver gets drunk and he runs over a bus full of, of school children and slaughters 20 of them. Uh, that's tragic. And, and no one would wish that on anyone. But at the end of the day, is the guy who put the bus company together, is he liable? And the answer is generally no, unless he knew the guy was a drinker. Now, otherwise, right. you know, that's the reason you've got the LLC set up is to avoid that kind of liability. Now, the LLC, whatever's in it would go to pay those damages, including the insurance. And that's what you have insurance for. But, to, you know, no matter how horrific the liability, it's very difficult to break through that corporate fail. Now, you know, there's a concomitant benefit to that. That's how people raise money, put money together, go out and try businesses and they fail. And if you don't have that limited liability to break through, like, you know, the bank doesn't like the fact they lost money. So they try to break through the corporate veil. Well, good luck with it. Um, you know, you're not going to be yeah. able to attract. Yeah, we used to have debtors prisons because of that. So and treadmills, yeah, well, you couldn't pay the debt. So you went to jail. Yeah. Treadmills, workhouses, debtors prisons. Um, you know, up until about the last 20 years, those were completely gone. But I think the banking industry in particular, and this is kind of a pet peeve with me, the banking industry in particular has legislated themselves into a position where they're a super creditor. So I look at it, if you've got a consensual lien with the bank, they're a creditor, and you should endeavor to pay that lien off with whatever's available. If it ends up being short, that doesn't mean the bank has to pierce the corporate veil and come after you, because at that point in time, the bank becomes nothing more than a predator. And that's something that you can get rid of with the LLC statutes or the asset protection statutes. You can keep them out of your pants pockets because they will always try. Because every banker I've ever run into that loses money somehow thinks they've been defrauded. That's just not the case. I've been doing this for 40 years. You know how many times I've seen a successful piercing the veil claim? None. I was on the cusp of saying like two, just just to kind of like give, give it a give it a fighting chance for a second there. Yeah. But they always make the claim; they just are never successful in prosecuting it. So the attorney makes a bunch of money trying to prove it, and never proves it, and then you know they end up losing money over it. But you know, you make a loan, it goes bad. It doesn't mean you got a right to collect against the individual membership interest holders. You know, you took a risk as well. That's true. Yeah. Um, just going back to, to the bus example, even getting on the bus, it's, it's it's public transportation, vehicles are dangerous. So there is personal liability involved as well. So that uh, makes a great deal of sense. Okay, so the the last, uh, actually, there might be two pillars left. It depends on whether or not the we, we, we covered it or not. But so we also wanted to make sure that I give some uh, time to the asset protection trust uh, side of the business. Now you have to forgive me if like it's more or less been weaved into the conversation so far. Um, but what would be the uh, significance of asset protection trust and how you offer it as a service? Well, an asset protection trust is part of an overall estate plan that people will have. Essentially what they'll do is they'll put their operating entities down into LLCs and then they will buffer that LLC from the asset protection trust. And with another LLC, so that you flow through the money through two separate LLCs, 
um, you leave enough money to provide working capital for those operating entities and anything that's left over than that, you sweep up to the asset protection trust. It's not a publicly disclosed uh, entity. It's not really an entity at all, but it's not publicly disclosed. You have the rights and protections that are afforded by the statute behind it. You know, as long as you're not defrauding people, then you should be able to strip the equity off of what you've got, put it into a safe place and reinvest it if that's what you want to do. And, you know, if there's a judgment against that LLC and they get through the LLC to another LLC, they get through the second LLC to the trust, you're not going to get through the trust. Not if you're playing the game the right way. If you're involved in criminal activity, you know, tax fraud, child pornography, stuff like that. Yeah, there's not much you're going to do that's going to keep from having liability. Just day-to-day economic and financial interests. Yeah, you've got the asset protection you need to have. So it's really a sophisticated tool for people who are putting family businesses together and just don't want to put their personal assets at risk. They like that additional level of protection. When I have two, two guests, I tend to uh, pause a little bit longer just in case uh, the other person wants to jump in for a second as well. All right. So next up, I also wanted to cover a holding company. Um, so this is where I, because th- um, we, we mentioned that you, it's almost like mitosis where an LLC, once the business has expanded enough, you can actually set up another one, um, di- divert some of the assets to them there. So where does a holding company uh, fit into the picture here? Want to take that one, Drew? Yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, so generally, the holding companies, you know, it's referred to as a holding company, umbrella company, or uh, for the purposes of this, let's call it a parent-child setup. So you've got one parent, you've got a bunch of different children. Obviously, if you're just starting your e-commerce store, we recommend give it a really generic name like e-commerce giants, because if you call it Bob's T-shirts and your T-shirts don't work, you don't want to rename it Bob's Candles, or people don't want to wonder why they're buying cupcakes from a T-shirt store. So, you, you know, call it something generic. And then once that starts to do well and you go, okay, here's the name, here's the brand identity that I've developed, there's significant enough revenue, uh, then you can go ahead, set up a child LLC, uh, call it, you know, that specific product line, whatever you want it to be, have it be owned by the parent. And as time goes on, you know, you'll have multiple children out there. And then the nice part is when you generate cash from the children, you can move it up to the parent. So if the child's sued, it uh, doesn't hold a lot of cash parent now has cash to either reinvest into existing companies or into new companies. And then the part that your accountants will really like is instead of having 10 LLCs and 10 returns, when they're owned by one parent, they file what's called a consolidated return. So all the profits and losses are just reported through the parent. You've only have one return to file instead of 10 different ones. So usually accountants will recommend them just to make the accounting easier and lower your expenses. And that's what you can do. And then the nice part with the anonymous LLC is you know, let's say you, we've got people who are suppliers, uh, they're manufacturers, and they want to go out and start selling that same product. It's not against, they don't have an on-compete with the people they're selling to, but people they're selling to, the retailers, wouldn't be happy. So they just set up a private LLC and they start selling as well. Then they get to be on both ends of the transaction. And you can do that through a holding company set up too. By the way, if you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. One thing that I think ties a lot of this in together is when, in, 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 the, in the larger scope of the conversation, the advice is, Keep put, investing the money back into your business. Um, don't start taking out. Don't start paying yourself. It has to uh, evolve. And it has to uh, be able to get to a point where it can even be automated and, and self-functioning. And and I guess you know the the overarching question has often been, well, invest in what exactly? Like if I keep expanding my product, and I'm just going to have to keep uh, you know um, selling more people, and that's and that's great, but. Well, exactly how much longer do I have to do this before I can start taking some of that money? And really what talking to you guys today has helped to um, demystify is it's it's elements like this. It's setting up your LSC. It's your asset protection. It's your, it's your domicile. These are all of the essential components to taking a business from, say, a hobby or an experiment into something that's legitimate. And, uh, and whether, you know, it's, you're, you're grasping it on the binder and hopefully you don't leave it on the airplane or it's all in the uh, in the cloud like it should be. This is all what you need in order to make that that change into a, um, you know, a more, a more conscionable and, and serious business person. Yeah. And I think as well, the whole 
holding company is oh, one thing you can do is one of the children can be your uh, supplier. So they go ahead and they buy all of your inventory. They hold the inventory. So if you do end up getting sued at one of the entities, they don't hold inventory. They don't hold cash. You just fold that store and open up another one. So there's a lot of ways you can slice it and dice it. But I cut you off there, Mark. I apologize. No, that's all right. You know, I think you made a really good point. Pay yourself. And, you know, at the end of the day, by putting these asset protection things into place, you're paying yourself. Because if you have some sort of catastrophic event in one aspect of your business, it's not going to drag the rest of it down, right? At the end of the day. And that's what you want to do. And, you know, I see entrepreneurs... I did a stint as a bankruptcy attorney in the eighties in Colorado, cause everybody was broke. And, you know, I just watched people that took a business that had been a good business for a long period of time. And then it turned around and you couldn't save that business. And people threw everything back into that business and went bankrupt as a result of it. Stop it. You know, if you're, if, you know, like what was it? Will Rogers said, if you find yourself in a hole, quit digging, save your money. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to get a stake to get back in the game at some future point without burying yourself in a bad business deal. You know, cause I've never, I've never gotten into a bad business deal, but I've ended up in them before. And you got to be able to save yourself when you get to the end of the day, rather than just prostrating yourself in front of your creditors. And that's what these LLCs do. If the property structure LLC, particularly these e-commerce business, you know, a lot of people who have gotten into these things, they're not, you know, they're dynamic, they're creative, they know what they're doing on the business end of things and things are going well, but they haven't had the ups and downs that a lot of people in other industries have had. So they're really not as conservative in their approach to money. You know, pay yourself, minimize your liability, put the thing into place. And when the bottom crashes out, you'll, you'll be okay. So that's my advice at the end of the day. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. You know, you've got to pay yourself, uh, put the structure together. So if you have a a leak in one place, it doesn't affect the other kind of like ships where they make them airtight. So, you know, even though the ship hit an iceberg here, in theory, you can compartmentalize the damage. Uh, but I do understand the pressures in e-commerce in particular toward needing to move toward automation, because if you start taking out too much money and living on it, uh, nothing stays good for too long. Someone else is going to reinvest. You know, it reminds me when I first got into internet marketing, the big thing back then was to get wholesale license with Nestle uh, for the iced teas because everyone could get it and then try to rank your eBay store number one and make the difference between the retail and the wholesale on it. But the problem was everyone was doing that. So those uh, opportunities kind of disappeared. So there's always a bit of a natural tension between needing to reinvest to stay competitive, uh, but also being able to afford your lifestyle and not rack up credit card debt. At least with this, you can put a bit of a nest egg away in some protection. And then it's up to you on whether or not you reinvest it if things go south. Things go south, you don't have to put the money back in. Yeah. And one of the longstanding criticisms of dropshipping is that it has been perceived to be a, a get-rich-quick scheme. And uh, I, I'm i not part of the like one of the initial waves of it where there was a point where, yeah, you could. It was kind of a gamble, but it was you could potentially make a lot of money and then shut your store down and, and make a run for it. So um, Facebook has somewhat to their credit, somewhat to their condemnation. They've uh, adjusted the advertising um, rules basically every day in order to make sure that if people are advertising on it, they're, they're running, they're at least running like a serious business, even if, or at least a, a serious hobby. So um, it also speaks to the need for adaptation. Um, I think regardless of the industry, if it's not adapting, then it's not an industry, it's a relic. And this is one thing that I've been wondering about. Um, and I guess I, this question leans more towards uh, Mark just because of uh, your, your, your experience, but um, in the law, quote unquote industry, I, I don't know if there's like a more accurate term than industry, because whenever I say industry, I think at some point someone's pulling a lever. That's because uh, my brain is a cartoon. But what I, I'm, I'm really curious about what are some of the, like really the major shifts or adaptations that you've had to uh, to, to deal with um, uh, over the course of your career, like some of the, some ones that really stick out in your mind that almost made you had to like go back and hit the books or consider going back to school or anything stick out along those lines? You know, I think that the ups and downs that the economy's had over the last 40 years has been something that's whipsawed people back and forth and made them. I think whether you're a liberal or a conservative, you have to be progressive. If you're not making progress, you're going to die. And I think that in many respects, the practice of the law is like any other industry. You have about 5% who are very creative with what they're doing. The other 95% are just hoping to God they make enough money to retire. 
you know, in, into something other than a single wide. They like a double wide mobile home this time. So you kind of look at that and you say, I think that's where the practice of law is. And that's the up and the down. What I see going on right now with blockchain, with smart contracts, things such as that, they offer a tremendous opportunity for people to understand what the applicability of that is to implement it into a business structure, um, including the practice of law, and do very well and have a very dynamic career as a result of it. But, you know, the idea of going back into the practice of law and drafting contracts and meeting with clients, I think those days are gone. You know, I've had a number of people that said, you know, they really like lose, using our services because at the end of the day, they don't have to get dressed up and come downtown and talk to an attorney. And I, in, in this small community here, the, the attorneys were char charging $1,250 plus filing fees for an LLC. I, that's just such an outrageous fee. Plus, it would take you weeks to get one done. Yeah, you call us up, up, give us a name, give us a you give us your give us your name, give us the name of the LLC, and we've got one with you the same day for $199, if you want the employer identification number for you. And I've had a number of people say, you know, that's just a godsend for middle class people because they can get up, they can get running a small amount of money and everything's done perfectly. We've done, you know, we've died, I don't know how many of these done, uh, a lot, you know, thousands a month. So at the end of the day, you kind of look at this stuff and say, how is it that somebody can still rationalize spending more than $200 on an LLC for most individuals? Now, we can also do some fairly customized drafting for people. It goes back and forth. And we do that on an hourly charge after that, but we're still way under that $1,250 because we've been doing so much for so long. It doesn't take us very long to get it done. So you know, that's what I see in respect to this, like this COVID-19 just accelerated a a, uh, a tectonic change in the practice of law that had been coming on for a while. And, you know, a lot of lawyers say, you know, I, I need to sit at the desk and look my client in the eye to feel comfortable. Our client says that. We don't see that much, do we, Drew? I do some fairly complex trust for people I've never met. And you just meet right here on Zoom and it works just fine. And then I can live where I want to live. They can be where they want to be. They get, you know, top, top rated services. And the price is a lot less. So it's quick, it's efficient. And I think it's a it's going to be something that most attorneys are going to have to get used to. And they, like I say, 83% said that, yeah, they're doing a great job on it. And 23% of their clients agree. <laughs> would you think one in four would be an acceptable rate of acceptance? I kind of think maybe not. <laughs> I think, you know, this is kind of lost on a lot of these guys. And we quit going to a lot of these seminars and whatnot because we were so far ahead of them that when the COVID came in, we already had, we've got financial grade security with our client portals, which is far above what the ABA requires or your local bar association requires. And so we've been on top of that from the very beginning because it's just the pressure of the industry that requires that. And yet we find a lot of law firms, you know, now trying to catch up. Well, good luck. You know how technology is. You got a one-year advantage. Next year, you got a two-year advantage. So that's, you know, just accelerates. So I view it as being kind of exciting, very creative. I think this blockchain is just fascinating. I mean, peer-to-peer -peer network group that's not hackable, smart contracts coming out with automatic enforcement provisions in it. This could be pretty good. And I also think that the practice of law is going to have to get to the point where they realize that a lot of judges can't understand all of this, and they're going to have to get pre-trial sorts of evidentiary uh, considerations and conclusions done before they present it to a judge. Or you're going to have to come up with uh, judges or uh, a legal system that's very particularly devoted to one area or another area. And I think that Wyoming's doing that. We just came up with a chancery court that's going to deal with all of our uh, trusts, which is a huge benefit for people because now you're not going to get hometown by a judge that, you know, their cousin got taken advantage of by one of these trusts one time. So they quit listening in the opening statement. But, you know, you got these judges who are devoted to this thing they understand what that thing is. They know the players that are involved with it, and they can come up with really good decisions. So I think that's additional criteria for selecting Wyoming as one of your domiciles. What do you think, Drew? I agree. And, you know, I think one of the things is in the legal field, they have a bit of a natural monopoly because of the bar. So it protects them from, you know, having too many new entrants. And uh, attorneys tend to be a little old and stuck in their way. So certainly COVID's moved a lot of them along. But we had to go to these conferences and, they were just so impressed they started using DocuSign or Stripe and they thought, wow, we've really caught up and we're going, 
No, you're nowhere near being caught up. So I think over the next 10 or 15 years, you'll see, you know, in firms such as ours, where we're pushing the technology, we're able to give you the exact same service much quicker for a lower price. They just can't, sure, it took them five hours, but it should have only taken them one. They can't justify charging those five hours. Uh, so as firms like ours become a little more popular, I think the other people end up getting squeezed out. And I think 199 feels about appropriate for what we do. You know, would I get twelve fifty? I guess, but that's not going to last very long. So, yeah, you know, the Economist magazine came out here recently again. They've been saying the same thing for twenty years: is that the United States needs to become more competitive. Um, we used to believe that we were at the top end of everything, and I think that you know, in the technology, at the top end of the technology, that's true. But in the service industry, it's not. And what we've allowed certain professions to do is to establish bulwarks that no one can get inside of for the purpose of monopolizing certain things and overcharging for them and slowing everything down. But I think that those walls are breaking down at this point in time. And I think that's accelerating as well. I think COVID did a lot to push it over the top. I think you're going to see people that are going to try to legislate themselves into existence. And I think they're going to fail. So you still got that battle back and forth. I look at it and say, you know, we compete with a lot of companies that don't practice law. They just provide these things online without any without providing any advice. Well, the thing that you give up is attorney-client privilege. Attorney-client privilege is a big deal. So we get subpoenas from people saying, hey, we want to see this stuff. We just throw them out. Because first of all, it has to be issued by a Wyoming court. Otherwise, we're not subject to the jurisdiction of that court. Second thing is, this is privileged information. How am I going to how am I going to disclose it to you? So go down to a Wyoming court. We can have an argument about it. And they're going to tell you no. So it gives you a, a bulwark that people have to get by that that enhance your anonymity and enhance the disclosure of your documents, the privacy of your documents. So that's where you've got some value. And I think that's where you see that industry evolving over the next like I say, next five, 10 years, you can't, you look out five years, where were we five years ago? Where are we now? It's pretty incredible. So if people say they can see much beyond the next six months, I've I would like to see how. That's a lot for me to, uh, to take in. And I, and I appreciate it. I mean, I, as, as you're describing this, I am, you know, thinking about my own experience, just being in media and you know, in, in this time, which, uh, has, uh, increased from, you know, loneliness and lack of social, uh, interactions, that was when I thought, you know, I should really go find a job. And then I do. And now I'm talking to people like new, new people every, every week for the last six to, to eight months, like it be, being a little ahead of the, of the curve, um, can have uh, extraordinary benefits, uh, down the line. So, uh, I, I, that's kind of like one thing that I just wanted to say to, to tie that part uh, up with a bow, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I can't help but wonder, like, if you've ever figured out if they what was their justification for for twelve fifty, or if it's just a matter of like they just think they can charge that and then get away with it, because I will say by the way when I I, I I try to make sure that I listen to at least like one other podcast if they've been on one, uh, and I ended up listening to both of your episodes of uh, the worst investment ever because I found I found uh, Mark's first and I thought okay well hang on a second if Mark's been on Andrew's probably been on lo and behold Andrew was on as well, so. And 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 uh, the audience, it's, it's it's an interesting podcast. I would recommend uh, checking it out. And it reminded me about ten years ago when I had first um, tried setting up my my online comic, and I had paid somebody a thousand dollars Canadian, which you know in the U.S. is what like twelve fifty somewhere. Actually, that's funny, almost the same amount. And I later discovered I probably could have put it together myself or got somebody on Fiverr to for like a fraction of, of the cost. And and some of it is just like when somebody charges that amount of money, it's it's that prestige or it's that feeling that well, if they have to charge that money, they must have the expertise for it, or maybe there'll be somebody that can charge it down the line. And that that's what I can think of. But I, I guess I don't really. That's that's all I can really say on the subject. Is there any justification whatsoever, or is it just like inflated? I mean, there can be, but I'd argue, you know, it's kind of like a, a doctor where there's supposed to be these specialties and doctors know that one's a brain surgeon, one's a pediatrician, the other's an oncologist, uh, go through the list. We've got attorneys, they go, oh, we'll do your business for you. If you have a DUI, if you have a divorce, a speeding ticket, you know, uh, an oil and gas sale, when there's nothing they won't touch, but they're not actually good at any of them. So I don't doubt it takes them four or five hours. I just doubt that if you had someone who specialized, it would take that person four or five hours. 
And you'll see, especially in smaller towns, um, if they don't have the reach through the internet that we do, they can't specialize. They have to take anything that walks through the door, personal injury claims. But you'll see our firm, all we do is estate planning and business formations. We don't practice any other type of law. Yeah, we spent a lot of years going down rabbit holes. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, we got a pretty good idea of what's going on out there. And I think that a lot of people buy something because I'll just give you an example. Take take the best car on the road 10 years ago and what you paid for it versus a so-so car today and what we, you would pay for it. You get a much better car than the best car 10 years ago at a fraction of the price. And that's the same thing that's gone on with the practice of law as well. And I think people will overpay for things because it, it gives them the benefit of security. So if you go to a large law firm and you have, like, you're doing a single member LLC, you go to a large law firm because your father used the law firm and you come in, it's an oak paneled room and, you know, everybody's dressed in beautiful suits and they got the staff and they've got the, you know, they're on the 48th floor with a beautiful view of the mountain range or the ocean or whatever you got, you feel more comfortable. But I think that that's breaking down rather quickly. Yeah, it does make the person also uh, self-inflates the person's ego too, thinking like, "Well, I deserve to be in here. I'm a client. I can I can afford this kind of thing." Yeah, be like Chris Rock's Chris Rock's uh, last uh, you know a comedy venture that was on Netflix, mm -hmm. and he said he's sitting there and he's in a divorce court with his wife, and he realizes I've got three attorneys, she's got three attorneys, and all these people here, and I'm paying for every one of them. He said that. He says, and that's when I realized I'd made it. <laughs> I laughed. Well, you know, that's pretty good. But that was a compulsory procedure. You don't have to go spend twelve fifty for a single member LLC. Well, one of our bad reviews, they didn't like the furnishings in the office. You go, well, if you're walking by a Porsche and you know a thousand dollar doorknob, someone's paying for it. It's a bit like when you're in Vegas. You go, wow, these buildings are absolutely beautiful, and I got a free hotel room. Like, no, not really. Somebody's paying for it, and it's you. That's a good point. <laughs> I've forgotten that review. <laughs> we, um, we, uh, we've hit the hour mark, uh, and um, I, I, I got to say, this has been uh, highly I illuminating for me. It's uh, helped um, me. Actually, I found it encouraging uh, just because I uh, here I was thinking going into this conversation that a lot of these essential components can actually end up costing thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and the reality is, well, no, it's, it's not, it's actually uh, quite affordable and it's, it's quite, quite logical. So, so for that, I'm, uh, I'm just personally grateful and I hope the audience uh, feels the same way. Um, but I do got to get you guys on out of here. So there is one last thing that I would like to hear from both of you, which is, is there anything else cool or fun or, or special about Wyoming? I'm just like, I, I love the USA. I really do. And like, over time, I get to learn little bits and pieces about different parts of the country. Uh, so is there anything else uh, you'd like to let the audience know about Wyoming? <laughs> what do you think, Drew? I think we're the, the least populated state and the second least densely populated. The first goes to Alaska because it's so large. Uh, so, you know, if you like the outdoors, whether yeah, it's, it's cold, uh, it's not like it's over there. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, you can go do all those things in spades up here in Wyoming. I do recommend, you know, visit during spring or summer. It's a little bit nicer. Unless you like skiing, then go to Jackson. Uh, Yellowstone's just amazing. They've got about 60% of the world's geyser activity. So there's some really crazy geyser and geysers and animals out there uh, that you can enjoy during the summer as well. So, but it's definitely, you come here for the nature. There aren't a lot of people. Our biggest city has 60,000 people. Which I think is more of a town than a city, but yeah, that'd be a fair statement. I, I'll just give an example. You know, I, I think Wyoming's wildly beautiful, but people here are a little different. And I'll give you an example. You know, I grew up here, so I can say this, right? I'm a native. <laughs> so, so if, when we went to 55 miles an hour back in the 1970s to save gas, Wyoming was the last state to go to 55 miles an hour because our attitude is basically nobody's telling us what to do. So when they turned around and went back to 70, 75 miles an hour, Wyoming was the last one to go back to 70, 75 miles an hour because there ain't nobody going to tell us what to do. So you look at that and go, that's Wyoming in a nutshell. <laughs> well, 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 thank you for that. And and thank you for, for the episode altogether. It was great to have you guys here. Oh, thanks um, for having us on. It was good. Uh, door, doors open. More than happy to, to have you uh, gents back. Uh, give it a couple of quarters and uh, you can let us know how things are One going. One last question for you. Excellent. When is the Canadian team going to win the cup? Which cup? 
I'm a nerd. Stanley I don't Cup. follow this kind of thing. Stanley Cup. <laughs> Stanley, Stanley Cup. Okay. I'm, I'm no, like, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not a sports guy whatsoever. And I knew that it was going to be a, um, a high risk, no reward investment because I'm sitting at a burger joint in downtown Toronto and I'm watching Toronto versus Boston. I, I forget the exact numbers, but Toronto is winning like, like four, one or something along those lines. And then Boston just like, they, I don't know, they switched from their right hand to their left hand and they just <laughs> nailed Toronto like goal after goal after goal. So like, uh, hey, uh, Raptors won, uh, won the NBA championship, uh, what is it, last year, I yeah. believe. So oh, uh, we got that going for us. And then they, I assume, did everything they could to hold on to the reason why they got the, the NBA championship. So, so there is that. Um, Toronto is, Toronto is like... Uh, this is coming more from like a, a gamer's perspective, but Toronto is one of the best starter zones because it has a high cost of living. There is a great concentration of talent and skill, but it is very difficult to take that skill and turn it into something that they can make a living off of. Uh, you're either you like you move to the states or you work for CBC, and uh, I, that my tinfoil hat um, spikes up whenever I think about working for the government. So I'm going to leave that alone. But Toronto really is like a wonderful place to learn and to and to cut your teeth and to develop the skill so that's that's one thing that i will say about it in its uh, in its defense sports and eh, not much i can do about that <laughs> well toronto's a world-class city i've spent a lot of time there it is a world-class city right yeah <laughs> well good well thanks for having us on if you want to have us here. again sometime we'd be glad to let us show back up oh uh, i i uh, i look forward to it yeah i think we're looking at our own podcast so we'd love to have you on and you can discuss your side of the business as well so Yes, we'll uh, meet back up soon. Okay, yeah, uh, sounds terrific. All right, and to our audience, uh, as always, actually, oh, oh, I almost forgot. I got to ask you guys how they can find you online. Oh, sure. Uh, just wyomingllcattorney.com. Uh, you have a phone number up there. Uh, info at wyomingllcattorney.com is the email. And there's a contact form at the bottom of the library page as well. Excellent. Well, uh, to our audience, uh, as always, I hope uh, you all uh, got a lot out of this. I know I certainly did. And thank you, as always, for your participation. It means a lot. So take care and we'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.